So for everyone that doesn't know, the reason why I picked Steve Marshall, who's not only one of the funniest comedians in New York City, uh, he's a very good friend of mine. He's raw. He's real. He tells it how it is. And that's how we want, you know, the listeners to have an expectation of what the show is. We want the show to be raw. We want the show to be real. We want the show to not really be for entitled people, soft people, insecure people. If you are soft, insecure, and entitled, the goal is to get you on the other side of the bridge, if you will, in that case. So um, without further ado, Steve Marshall, welcome to the first ever Deposit That podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on on Deposit That. And I took the time to look at the promo, and the promo says that you want to leave the listener with at least one thing yep. that they go they go home with. And I think I was thinking so much about that because remember there was a book, The Secret, for a while. Sure. And everybody was reading The Secret and everybody was like, you're going to read The Secret, you're going to get all this money. Your life's going to change. Your whole <laughs> life's going to change. You're going to read The Secret, you're going to read The Secret. But I always felt that most of the people that read The Secret, their life never changed because they didn't tell you part two to the secret, which is you just can't read it. You have to take action. <laughs> exactly. You have to take action. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and that's a lot one of th- information that goes in too. So if you only try and bring one thing away, don't try and learn five things or implement five things into your daily life or routine or digest or download, right? It's hard enough to do one new thing and consistently do that one new thing. Right. And in other words, they'll tell you because I'm a, I am a Kung Fu practitioner and a teacher will give you, uh, some teachers believe, Rather than learning 20 moves, do one move thousands of times and perfect it. And that led me into what I want to say, because Jeff and I are athletes. We love talking about sports. (laughs) We can go nonstop. So so it's nonstop. And this is only the fifth time I've ever seen you in person, right? Six, maybe seven? Right, right. But we chat and we text and whatever. We just hit it off. Yeah, because uh, you're you're so positive. You're like like a player coach. You're the type of guy, you're playing in the game, but you're also coaching the game. And you're the type of guy, when you're the guard with the ball or you're the mortgage quarterback, I just feel like when you give me the ball, you give me the ball with, don't worry, Steve, you're going to hit this shot. Do what you got to do. Yeah, but you have such confidence and that's in, in other people. And I was going to talk about Vince Lombardi, how Vince Lombardi, you know, do one thing, take one thing from the show. So Vince Lombardi, they had the sweep. That was the big thing in the that, 60s, yep, the sweep. Yep. They, knew the, they knew that you're going to run the sweep. You know that they're going to try and stop the sweep. But they didn't stop the sweep because they ran it thousands of times in practice. They executed. It's, it's called execution. You yep. said it's called execution. So if you take one thing and learn to execute it, and execution means they can't stop you. You know what I mean? If you have that, if you're Steph Curry and you've got that step back shot, do it. Do it. They, can't, doing it. They, they can't stop you. And I, I, I think that's a, that's a big thing for me with, I came up with this don't behave philosophy, which is. Which is I love. We're coining that word. T-shirt, merchandise. Yeah, we're hats, trying to merchandise it. Too. Girls underwear, whatever. <laughs> Don't behave. <laughs> it's a reminder. Tattoo on, your, tattoo on your feet so when you're looking down in the shower. Girls Don't underwear. behave. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because if you want to have good sex, you, you, you don't behave. I mean, <laughs> I mean, true, I though, mean, right? really, a, a lot of don't behave. It came to me with realizing that a lot of life works on opposites, and you want to be polite, and you want to be a gentleman, and you want to have consensual sex. But then, then once you're polite, and once you're a gentleman, and once you've agreed to consensual off. sex, yeah, yeah. now it's time yeah, to yeah. start slapping that ass. All bets are off. <laughs> you know what I mean? And misbehaving right, right. because you know that's exciting. You know, I uh, you know I'll say things. On stage, and people get pissed at me. I remember once even like talking about like oral sex, and a mutual friend we have, when that's not say her name, would say, Women don't like giving oral sex. And I can't tell you how many women told me, I love giving yeah. oral sex. They raise their hand for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, 
This is not me saying I'm. I'm not saying that all women love it. But they I'm all not love saying, getting it. Supposedly, I don't know if that's true. Is that true? And that's not true either. Serious. And that's the is, don't is behave. For, not, no, some women just maybe some women don't enjoy it. That's some true. women want to be. Are we allowed to curse? Yeah, in the show? some women want to be fucked. Yeah, gotcha. There are women that want to be fucked. They Guys don't, too. They don't want to be. They don't want to. They don't want to be eaten. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I eat alive. <laughs> no, listen, I'm a. Here we, you know, three minutes I'm already talking about eating pussy. I always say I'm Jewish. Jewish men are the best at eating pussy because it's all you can eat. It's free. <laughs> Plus, we were younger. We were stamp collectors. So we had a lot of practice with our tongues. But listen, I think we hit a very strong audience here, right? We, well, you know. We want women to love and listen to the show, and we want them to tell the truth. Right? I'm just going to be frank. I was. Uh, we also had a nice Jewish community with you. Everyone thinks you're Italian, but you're not. Right. Because, yeah, I know. Because growing up in fifth grade. I remember in fifth grade, they ask everybody, what do you want to be? And people would say, I want to be a doctor, a lawyer, an actress, a ballerina, a football, a quarterback. When they asked me in fifth grade what I want to be, I said, I want to be Italian. Because <laughs> the Italian guys were just the coolest guys. In fifth grade, my friend Anthony, he goes, I'm going to see my girl. In fifth grade, he had a girl. I was Jewish. In fifth grade, I had a stamp collection. So you could say what you want. But in the United States yeah. of America, uh, being sexy is number one. And I think that's why money is so sexy in the United States of America. Because guys would always, a lot of guys are like, I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to sure. get this type of watch. I'm going to get this haircut. I'm going to get this car. I'm going to get laid. And then I just decided many years ago, well, I'll just skip the haircut and the money <laughs> and I'll just go and get laid. <laughs> so back, back to your stamp collection, right? Let's talk about that because I'm sure. My what? A, oh, your stamp collection. My stamp yeah. collection. Yeah. So I was, I was a philatelist. Yeah, you, I was a numismatist. <laughs> I'm very educated because I've had people say, oh, you're vulgar. Listen, I'm educated. You know, I have a educated people like sex. Yep. In fact, we needed more than and uneducated stamps. people and stamps. <laughs> so <laughs> you collected stamps. I collected football, baseball and basketball cards, right? right? Up until about the sixth, gr fifth grade, right. and then I tried to start collecting females, girlfriends, and you know, really be cool. And I was like, someone, somewhere, somehow, I think pretty much told me, "Oh, if you collect sports cards, like you're not going to get girls anymore." Or, I'm like, so glad you brought you collect that up. stamps. You're not going to get girls anymore. But that was really where my passion was. I love passion. And I love collecting. Right, and then somebody put it in your mind that wasn't right, and it might not even be true. Correct. Well, it's not true. It might not even be right. true, but then it makes you self-conscious completely. That's another thing I wanted to leave people with. Another one thing: and you got to stop wearing your tidy whities or you're not going to get laid. It's all not true. That's the don't behave. The don't behave is don't behave like anybody but yourself. Right. Find out what works for you. Mm -hmm. I don't have a Rolls Royce. I don't have a Rolex watch. All right. I never had a ton of money. You got a good stamp. And I, met, I, I was a good stamp. I was. A, <laughs> that's, you better believe it. And let me tell you something. Yeah. I had many repeat customers <laughs> because of that. Well, also because the post office must have loved you. <laughs> <laughs> Return to send address. On, well, the other thing too is, I mean, I guess, I guess everybody wants to be attractive to the opposite sex. Right. I, I think have a personality. Maybe learn to listen. Maybe actually enjoy. Like I always tell people, I had one night stands, but that was probably their choice, not mine. I wanted to have a, I wanted to have a tour of <laughs> three night stands. Yeah, yeah. They probably like, I'm done with this guy. <laughs> you know what? So I know I grew up in a diverse community, and I went to right. college in the Bronx, which is a diverse community. That is very diverse. As well as you grew up in Brooklyn, right? right. Where everyone lived amongst each other, and there was a street mutual respect for people, yes. right? doesn't matter what color you were, what size you were. If you got your ass kicked, you got your ass kicked. You know, if you deserve to get your ass kicked, 
you deserve to get your ass kicked. We Some really didn't, didn't care what your color Correct. or your religion was. At now, all. don't get me wrong. It shaped us because obviously I knew I was Jewish. I'm going to church on Saturday and yep. you're going to church on Sunday. Yep. I knew maybe as a Jewish person, I was a little more neurotic <laughs> than my Christian friends. Sure. But we used that to make jokes. Remember how many jokes, how all many ethnic jokes? We made ethnic jokes all the time. And everyone left. That's the whole point of my show now. More jokes, less violence. I have never seen a world we've become politically correct. More violence, no using- jokes. Right? That's what we have. <laughs> That's what happened. We have That's more exactly violence and no jokes. We, we've become hung up on using the right nomenclature, but now we have more children being shot in schools. We have more violence. Racism. We have more racism than, I, than, I, than I've ever seen in my last yep. 25 years. Yep. When we were kids, we made a joke. It was just a joke. That's all it was. It was a way of breaking the ice. And if you're an athlete, you know, there's no way that, when I'm playing basketball, you think my black friends don't know I'm Jewish of when I'm course, on the court? If there's a quarter on the floor, every fucking it black guy I'm playing with is going, he's going to pick it up. You know, and steal it from you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? But, I mean, it's just funny because, you know, we had the conversation earlier that the world's always been a certain way. But now because of social media and, you know, people being insecure. It might be the same world, yeah. but the social media might make be trying to make you believe or inadvertently making you believe it's different. Right. For instance, right. you go to, you go to, let's say they say that millennials are rude. They say that millennials are always on their phone. Millennials right. are rude. I can't tell you how many times when I'm at a comedy club, there's a 50 year old in the audience with their phone on, right. not a millennial. Right. Okay. They tell you that. What's well, black- new to them. They just figured out what a phone was. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, there we go. iPhone. <laughs> it's very odd to see an iPhone with an extension cord plugged in. <laughs> A rotary iPhone. Yeah, the adapter. Or, you, or, they, or they tell you the stereotype that black people talk in the movies. Black people don't shut up at the movies. Black people talk in the movies. I can't tell you how many times it's white people yep. talking in the movies Completely. and it shows. So so I think we're I think that's the don't behave for me is like the don't behave is don't just read the book and believe it. Don't behave, question the book. Don't just believe that women only like guys that are six foot tall and or have abs, muscles, whatever, not dad yeah, yeah, what, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't oh, before, just believe it. Speaking of muscles, I, mean, I know you showed everyone your six pack before, but no, I, I did, did that. I did so not do is, that on you're purpose. You're the first person to get the official deposit that t-shirt, which it's in my writing. And here's the reason why, let me explain this to you. So deposit that I did not write that on the shirt. What I did was I wrote it on a piece of paper, sent it to my graphic designer to then have it imprinted on the shirt. And here's the reason mm-hmm. why. I want this podcast to be my words, my writing. Hmm. I don't want anyone else to put their twist on what comes out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. I want it to be everything from me, authentic. So that's my writing of deposit that with obviously the money sign here. Mm -hmm. So I want you to have that as the first guest of the show. Thanks, Jeff. And it's just that's that's what it's all about to me is trying to find it. I was I had a I had a tremendous amount of self doubt. Believe me, I've I've been very. I I've still been, do. So I've in been some dr- cases, and, and both of us are pretty successful. In yep. other words, like I played sports. I, uh, I'm just saying this. I hate to talk like this about myself. I'm not bragging, but I was a Division One college fencer. I started for four years. I traveled the country. I've done some kung fu. I fought some full contact in the ring. I didn't win all my fights, but I never got knocked out. I mean, I, I can, I can. I got a degree in accounting. I got a job at Price Waterhouse. I traded stocks. And so you went from Price Waterhouse trading stocks, accounting, fencing. To being a full-time comedian? Yes. Jesus. And the one thing I noticed from all these things, because those are all, in many ways, external things until you find the internal part, is that I still had a lot of self-doubt. 
And Do you think you were born to be a comedian? I think my parents, when people always ask me, why did, why, how did you become a comedian? And I always say the same thing. My parents didn't love me. And people, <laughs> it's tragic, but my parents just never validated me. My parents- You never got their approval. No, I never got their approval. And I, I didn't get a lot of hugs or kisses or physical attention, but my grandmother saved my life. Serious. My grandmother's hugged. One of my grandmothers was a hugger and a kisser and a feeder, eat eat, eat. And the other one was like, talk to me, talk to me and really listen to me. And I just think. So she was pulling out of you what you She kept was just validating up. me. She loved me. Right. She loved me. There's was not it a unconditional love that you never could even question? Like you're like, totally I 100% unconditional. Know she loved I tell me. you, there is, I tell you right now that both my grandmothers I know, wherever they are, are looking down going, we did our job well. This kid loves me. And we're proud of them. And they're proud of me because of the love, because I think that's the most important thing to me is I want to be loved and I want to be liked. And the way I do it is by telling Same. jokes because, because I came from a family that Everyone wasn't, wants to be loved and liked, though? I think they do, but they don't want to admit it because we're raised, in a, we're raised in a world where we're told that kindness is weakness. But that can't be because- it's bullshit. It's total bullshit, bullshit, bullshit total because bullshit. people survived the Holocaust. Right. And they weren't lifting weights and eating right. well, and they weren't physically strong. Then how did they yeah, survive? They were 1% it? Away and not survive. How, how do women who can't lift 600 pounds right. raise uh, single family change households. society or raise children or RBG, notorious Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It can't be physical strength. There's something internal in people, and we talked about it in the hallway a little integrity. Having integrity. Look, for all my crazy jokes and all my, because people go, he's vulgar and he talks about sex. He's insulting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get the fuck out of here. I'm just blowing off steam. If you've ever been around a fire person, a fireman or fire woman, or anybody who has a dangerous job, (laughs) or a police officer, anybody who has a dangerous job, (laughs) they're always making sick and crazy jokes. It's the way we blow steam off. I feel like it's being real. And if people who don't, I always said, here, this is the truth, right? So getting into, the residential mortgage business at age 20 in December 2007, wow. you know, I always said that I was like, I'm going to toot my own horn. I was the bright spot for the industry. Why? You know, the majority of my industry, as you know, was 25 plus years older. The market was collapsing. People went from making hundreds of thousands of dollars and not having any deals in the pipeline, right? And I would walk in as a 20-year-old, naive, smiling, happy, friendly kid. So like, yeah, you know what? They may have just lost 10 deals. They may have not closed a deal in five months, but it was almost like I just kept putting a smile on their face and I went out to make friends, you know? And it was almost like in the shittiest of times, I didn't realize or understand really how shitty of times we were in. Cause I didn't know I was 20 years old. Um, but other people, I feel like they gravitated towards me because I was so upbeat and positive, you know? And I brought that real life energy and excitement to a very down and depressed industry. But isn't, isn't that just the same as if, you and I were coaches and we took a team that was one in 15. Right. So isn't part of what we're doing, bringing a positivity to Absolutely. the team? Absolutely. And I think, you know, you go, you go into coaching. That's so funny. We talked about this for about 17 days straight, but um, I recently participated in a charity basketball tournament for kids at the boys and girls club in Jersey city. And they bring kids from different levels. I'm giving an example, six to eight years old, nine to 11 years old, 12 to 14. And then they have the, you know, 15, 18 year olds play in games. And it's just charity for fun, this and that. And one team shows up, they're getting in line, they're running their layup drills, getting the rebounds, super professional. And then the other team, right, 
this coach is overweight, kid never looked like he was an athlete in his life, yelling, yo, why'd you miss that layup? Yo, why'd you get that rebound? Yo, you're lazy. Yo, you're never going to make it. Yo, you. I'm like, wow. I'm like, this game should be interesting. I think the final score was like 35 to three. Clearly the team that was disciplined where the coach respected the seven and eight-year-olds, even though they were seven, eight-year-olds, he treated them with respect. And you would have thought he was coaching an NBA team from a professional standpoint. And then you had this knucklehead, for lack of a better term, no experience, no coaching, clearly not a mentor or role model, coaching these kids. Kids didn't want to play for him. The kids weren't motivated. They were picking their nose, scratching their ass. And they were they really didn't care because they didn't have the right role model to look up to. They didn't have the right coach to look up to. And this coach was put in this position, and one way or another, he had to have some type of impact on these children's lives. So talk to me about how important a coach at an early age is to make or break a kid's success or implant subconscious negative beliefs. Well, my, I witnessed it firsthand personally my, and visibly. My self-doubt came from parents that seemed to second guess everything I did. If I, if I said, I'm going to do this, they would always go, why do you want to do that? It sort of had a negative undertone. They, like my parents weren't like, don't do that. Rather my parents, go do my parents weren't like mean to me, yeah. but they made me second guess. So what the hell did you do that for? Yeah. Yeah. They're, but it was more subtle than that. It was, I remember once I was going out oh, in college, I called my mom and I said, Oh, my girlfriend and I are going to go to Virginia beach. And I hear my mother, there's like a, a pregnant pause. <laughs> and then I hear like, uh, why do you want to do that? You know what I mean? So they yeah. put down yeah. my and parents. And that voice gets stuck in your head yeah, yeah, every yeah. time you have a thought. Yeah, so so I had to learn uh, to get over this self-doubt. And it, does, it doesn't go, it doesn't, I think that's like what somebody said the other day. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, do you ever get nervous before you go on stage? And I go, I don't get nervous before I go on stage, but I always worry how I'm going to be received because, you know, I do this crazy, I talk about everything and it's sometimes people find it too frank. And he said to me, that, that makes me feel so great to know that at your level, you still worry. So I think that's what I want the listeners to hear is that I'm not saying I'm the greatest. I'm not saying I'm the funniest, but I, but I do do 300 shows a year and I am a real headliner. And people yeah. do. I travel. I just got back from the laugh factory in Vegas, the laugh factory in Reno, but but I have doubt, and you can have doubt and, and still be make successful. And still yes. Make Do you think that kind of what keeps you going, and that's what keeps you humble? Because I feel like one hundred percent. Oh, I'm great. I'm the top at the top. You know, you brought up Tom 100%. Brady earlier in our pre podcast. Yeah. Our pre podcast. Yeah. Our pre pre podcast. This is pre two. <laughs> right. Um, you're like people just think he's Tom Brady. He's throwing the ball around, but there's so much more to him that people don't know about. Tom Brady. Uh, He's concerned with his diet. I mean, there's been a controversy because he he has an additional trainer in yep. addition to the trainer that the that comes with yeah. the with the team. Yep. Huge and, conflict. And here's another thing: isn't Tom Brady like? Uh, I'm talking because we also have a wonderful guy who does our monitoring, yeah. our sound guy here, Coil. Not live stream, but everything yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it doesn't. Isn't Tom Brady also like 41 years old I think or 42 something? Maybe 41, so. 42. So that's another thing that he's defying all. Another the don't behave is. Stop letting nomenclature put you in a box. George Blanda, I think, was 45 years old and a quarterback for the old Oakland. And they were like, he's like 800 years yep, old. Yep, yep. Today, 41 yep. isn't that old. It's what's in your mind. Roger Bannister, I think, broke the four-minute mile. All right? It took, in other words, until that time, it might have been the 60s, nobody could break four minutes in one second or four minutes, yep. whatever it was. As soon as Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, everybody else started breaking it because they said, 
it can be done. I think it's so, yeah, it's so important. So you look at it, you're like, oh, well, if Steve did it, I could do it. Or right. Steve and so Jeff Steve did it, had, I could do it. That's correct. So if Steve had self-doubt and Jeff had self-doubt and they're successful, I have self-doubt. Self-doubt is not a killer for success. At all. Nothing is a killer for success. We were talking about... We play hurt. You know, you're not going to play in the NFL, I heard. if You're, you're going to get hurt. But it doesn't part matter. You still win. Yep. It's, you still can win. You can, I was so broke. I got divorced. How old were you when you got divorced? I was, uh, I think I was about 34 years old when I got divorced. And I had a dollar, this is truth, I had a dollar 70 in the bank. And I had to pay my rent. And I went for a telemarketing job. And I knew I had to sell because it was, I was going to get paid bi-weekly. And I, and I knew that I didn't have time to fail at this job and then do another job because my rent was due in two weeks. And so I just list, I can only look guys, I'm not an expert. I'll just tell you what I did. There was an older gentleman. Like who, there was an older. <laughs> <laughs> if you're 75 and above, I want your stamp with seven dollars. <laughs> like <laughs> I used to collect plate blocks. Uh, 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 they, if those of you in stamp collecting, that's like four that are attached and has a special number. Yes, even a geek can get laid. But so I, I was listening to they the- They usually window lickers, you're a stamp licker. What's a window licker? We're not going into that. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we know what it is. <laughs> uh, so uh, there was a, the second guy at the meeting for telemarketing was an older guy. And none of the young kids, because when you traditionally, when you go to these telemarketing jobs, the initial thing, it's like 40, you know, there's only going to be 10 left, but 40 young kids telemarketing. And nobody was giving this, this older guy any respect. And I said to him, listen, I really have to sell. If there's one bit of advice, I didn't plan on saying this. Like you said, leave with one thing. Give me one bit of advice. You have as many of those as you want. And he said, I'm I'm piling them up. Deposit that Uh, and that and that. Well, ethnic people, it's never enough food. (laughs) You know, the worst thing you could do, you leave an Italian household and go, I'm hungry. You're going to be back in the kitchen for nine more hours. Because it's always more ethnic households, more More. love, more love. So I said to this guy, if there's one thing that I get to help me sell, he said, Selling is telling. And I want to repeat that. Selling is telling. What do you mean by that? Or what do he mean by that? You don't ask for the sale. You tell them. And I can elaborate on that because I read a book about sales, a lot of books. You assume the sale. You you don't go in and say, Hey, will you buy will you buy this? I already walk in knowing that you're gonna buy it. Close deal. Selling is telling. What color do you want this in? Powerful. You don't ask, are you interested in buying this right. car? You, you put say, that doubt in their what head. Color yep. would you, what color would you like this Corvette to be? And let me ask you, in this Corvette, do you prefer an automatic or, or a, uh, or a super stick? Valuable. So selling is telling and you assume the sale. I take everything I've learned in life and apply it to everything I do. I always tell people, and I've coached a lot of comedians, throw don't take any knowledge from comedy. Apply everything you know from your real life to comedy. So when I tell a joke, I don't ask them to laugh. Yeah. I assume funny? the sale. I yep. already assume they're going to laugh. Yep. When I'm sparring, I'm not asking, can I, can hit, I hit you? Hit you? <laughs> I already assume I'm going to hit you. And this started to erode my self-doubt. I read a book when I was young because I just – 
look, my parents were great. They loved me, but they just, I always joke about it in my act. They knew what they knew. My dad, the old fashioned dads, they didn't say, I love you. Tough luck. I don't think my father even knew my name. <laughs> I, mean, I called my father up one Father's Day. I said, hello, daddy. Happy Father's Day. He goes, hold on a second. I'll put your mother on the phone. <laughs> they just didn't make contact. You know, that was the type of guy. They didn't engage. So, I, so they didn't engage. That's right. But what they did do is go to work, pay the rent. Work their ass off. Yeah, work their ass off. They there was the no such thing as yeah. clock watching. Yeah, at all. I've seen, and that's another thing. Maybe the you reason. You give them credit for that. You do have to give them credit for that. They did instill that hard work ethic. My father never hit us. My father never cursed. My father never went to a woman in the street. No, he never raped anyone. No. <laughs> this podcast is a little more misbehaving than I thought it would be. <laughs> uh, I, my my father never shot a load of my mother's tits. There, did you want me to say that? You pushed for it unless she wanted it and it was consensual. Signed off on unless it. you hear in the unless you hear this in the bedroom, Phil, Phil, how many times do I have to ask you to shoot a load of my tits? But, so what I'm saying is, my father had meant many great attributes, and that's another thing you can. They always said about Woody Allen, he combined <laughs> the metaphysical and the mundane. Well, I think what I do best is maybe I do combine the vulgar and integrity. Back it up. I think they go together because, you know. Uh, uh, Isn't that living, though? That's true. That's living. Seeing if you, you, gotta ex- you know what? If you're going to accept me, accept 100%. Right. Except, except, Don't judge except, me on except one the, thing you didn't like that. I didn't right, say. You right. like 10, but you hate one. I am intelligent. I am educated. And I may shoot a lo- I'll take good lo- <laughs> And I may shoot a load on your tits. <laughs> And those things are not mutually exclusive. Right. I, I always tell people that in this country, they think you're either smart or you're, or you're dumb. Yep. You're either smart or you're sexy. Yep. Albert Einstein got mad pussy. Why do you think his hair was always so messy? That's right. He jerked off to the periodic table. Oh, boron. Oh, boron. <laughs> he shot a load in the air. He said, you know what? I think space is curved. Here's a theory. Here's a theory. Uh, it's not get out of life. Get out in life, read the book, but then experience what's really going to happen. You can read everything you want about football, but until you get in the NFL, I never played at the NFL level. Until you get on the field, you're going to find out what's really going to happen. Until someone hits you. Yeah, until you, you get hit. You get hit. I think Mike Tyson, who we were speaking That's, about earlier. What's Mike Tyson's famous I think quote? he says, like, everybody has a plan. Until they get punched in the face. Yeah. Now, this is a great quote from Customato. Now, you met Mike Tyson, right? I did meet Mike, yes. How was it? I'll tell you, I, it's a wonderful story. And then I want to tell you the Customato quote because it's important for everybody to hear. So Tracy Morgan and I, we're, we're still friends, but we were really good friends. Really? really good friends. Tracy saw me perform at a little club, New York Comedy Club, about 15 years ago. And he loved my fearlessness because my friend Seymour, who was black with a Jewish name, and his brother Sidney, who was black with a Jewish name, they, he had, a, he had a, what he called African-American comedy night and this is like 20 years ago, and most of the white comedians would not go on this show because they were afraid. Seriously. And he would put me on the show. And Everyone at loved first, you. no, at first, sometimes they didn't love me because I was very frank, and they were like, what the fuck is this white boy about? <laughs> Shoot and, him. and that's the truth. Shoot. That's the truth. But I learned to bring my real life experiences to these people. I appreciate it. They loved me. They loved me because I was real. They didn't. You don't have to agree with me, but I was fucking real. Accept me a hundred percent, motherfucker. You don't have to agree, but accept. Right, because and you know what? That's the Brooklyn rule. I know we're all over the place, but in Brooklyn, how you treat me is how I treat you. You respect me. I respect you. Give it together. You're you're damn skippy, right? If you have a child, you know what? Instead of saying that child doesn't know how to behave, 
Why don't you assume that he'll behave well? Why don't you assume the sale? Why don't you give that child some respect? Right, automatically. Right, Automat- why don't you begin with, I'm going to show that child. And I know what I'm talking about because I played streetball and I taught ghetto kids. I taught math, accounting, and business law to a ton of ghetto kids. I had one day, I asked my class, how many people here have a weapon? The entire class put their hand up. Wow. And one girl who had a stump, one arm yeah. was like yeah, a yeah, stump. Yeah. She, I said, what do you have on you? She took out a switchblade, put the, the stump, under her stump, you know, the yeah, handle, yeah. and un, undid the knife. And I turned to everybody in the class. So, guys, I can only talk about what I know. You can't deny my reality. Yeah, that's a fact. It and I told everybody, in my class, you don't need knives or guns or violence because I'm going to make sure everybody gets respect. I'm not a school teacher who just teaches Three, the A students. You got to teach the D students to make them Everyone. C students. Everybody. Yeah, and there's a reason why. And D in my class, I told them, my class, there'll be no violence. But when you get back on the subway and when you go home, Can't promise you then that. you go back to that. Right. Can't promise you When that. you get on the train, then you're going to need your street Did face. they respect you for that? 100%. 100%. But I explained it to them. I explained them in the classroom, I'm here. Don't worry. I've got your back. You know, it's funny you bring up teachers. And I feel like, now this is I'm I'm sure there are plenty of motivating, inspiring teachers out there that really are there to help the kids, right? Um, now listen, it is expensive to live today. And I know there's this big thing out like I think Cuomo or somebody's guaranteeing somebody's guaranteeing teachers a minimum sixty thousand a year or whatever it is, right? Which again, like income's neither here nor there. It is what it is. But I feel like you don't become a teacher to become rich and wealthy. Like your husband might be or your family might be. You become a teacher to change lives, right? And I feel like Many teachers today, as people in general, are so self-absorbed, so consumed with their phone and social media, right? And what they're being paid, rather than realizing they have so many impressionable eyes looking up at them. And I want to just say also that there might be many people out there who's, we said, you know, because we sort of implied that women were teachers. We have men that are teachers also. I feel like like women are more inspiring than men. Truthfully, truthfully, I do. I do. Well, here's the reason why. So I believe that women in general, this is my my internal belief, a more powerful woman will take down a more powerful man because they're going to see things that men can't see and will never be able to see. That's just how they're wired. So like a single mother household, right? Mother that's raising a child on her own has to play the both role male men and fa- men and women men and wife also we talked Mother, about father. we talked about cuz I'm a tai chi person yeah. and learning about internal strength yeah. how about when a woman knows she can't overpower a man with her physical strength mentally so it develops the mental completely. and the other skills completely so like women have both male and female inside them where men are just most men are just men obviously there's always an exception to the rule well i'm a feminist i'm wearing a pad right now <laughs> <laughs> oh it's a heavy flow night uh i want to say the custom motto thing yeah, going yeah, back go to so i met mike tyson with and that's another thing like people don't talk in linear fashion we do meander real people do meander Roller like coaster. We, yeah we so you brought up another topic we went there Probably we could it. always come back to tracy morgan so he took me to a club and he introduced me to mike tyson and he was so gentle and so eloquent. And he made me feel, he made me feel like I knew, knew him my whole life. And he, he was so wonderful. And I remember that I read about Customato, who was Mike's trainer, a, co- a couple of things, a coach. And he said, he asked Mike, do you know the difference between a coward and a hero? 
And Mike was like, well, you know, yeah, a coward's scared. You know what I mean? A hero isn't. He goes, no. He goes, Cus D'Amato said, a hero is scared also, but he doesn't let it stop him from doing what he has to do. Huge. So you can have self-doubt. You can have fear, but you can't let it stop you from taking action. Read the book, The Secret, but then take action. Right. Go to, if, if you're learning to box, listen to what your boxing coach shows you, but then get in the ring and try it and take action. If you're, if you're dreaming about going into real estate, yes, take some real estate courses, read a book, but then take action. Try it. And I think what Do you it. did, you know, you're the mortgage quarterback. Now, I love that about you. Yeah. Now, when you came to the mortgage business, because I go to Vegas all the time, and I always hear in Vegas in the last couple of years, oh, business used to be so great, used to be so great. What they didn't understand is maybe you were you were at the high side when you were making, you weren't complaining when you were making much more. At all. Than you should have, I guess that's my phone, yeah, just click it, it yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you weren't complaining when you were, what you didn't understand is you were making too much at one yeah, time. Yeah, you didn't realize like, it. Way above. Or appreciate it. Yeah, or appreciate it. You you have to, you have to get this out of your head in sales. Because telling jokes is like sales. It's like, telling jokes is like being a fighter. I throw it, it may hit, it may not hit. Right. The audience may block it and come back with a heckle. So every joke is like a sale. See, I'm I'm an, I'm addicted to excitement. I heard that gamblers, it's about the action. Yeah, it's it's not, not about, about it's not losing. about winning. It's about the action. Yep. So with me, every time I tell a joke, I throw the dice and the see action. see did I get the action? Did I get the action? Did I get the action? And that's where that's where I'm an excitement act, uh, addict. Do you like the rush? I do like the rush. I, there's no What's f- momentum. I, so people say rush. You say, Energy, passion, excitement, all kind of goes. Well, that's why I like sports because if if I won every game, if you could win every game, it wouldn't be any fun. If you turn on the TV, it's it's the idea. It's watching underdogs. Who's going to win? The unknown. It's the underdogs. The underdog is what makes life exciting. The underdog, because most of us see ourselves as the underdog. I think everybody, most of The David versus the Goliath is what it's all about. So, again, going back to Customato, he said that the difference between a hero and a coward is just a hero has fear and doubt, but doesn't let him doesn't let him or her it doesn't stop his or her actions. Now, Customato also taught Mike <laughs> to hit with bad intentions. Right. Did you ever Which hear he did. that? Yeah, he did. I hate to say that, but it's a very violent game. Boxing, you're the survival. Thing, it is intention. In acting class, they teach you about it's everything's the same. I don't. Do care you know what, for the first time? This is God's honest truth on my son. I've never written down with confidence and intention in my life until July 9th, which was three days ago Why? in my life. Why? And Why put did my intention phone. come up on July 9th? Um, well, J. Cole has a song. It's called Middle Child. And I was listening to it and it's like, I set my intentions, right? I set my intentions. So I'm working out at the gym. I have my playlist of seven songs. I just go on repeat, right? And it's just kind of like how I, you know, we're talking about tuning out the noise. So I put my two, these things are called uh, Jaybirds. I bought them like $160. I bought them about a week ago because I lost my, my wireless headphones are too big, clunky. I'd be working out. They'd fall off, sweating. My ears were high. I'd be miserable. Pre-workout would kick in. So get these on. Now, you hear very clearly with these things, right? And I've always listened to words. We were more about the B. You hear about what they're saying. But now I listen to every word. This is all I could hear. I can hear the outside music, the outside grunting, weight slamming. This is all I hear. And it's like, I set my intentions and I'm like, I got to set my intentions. So I went my phone and I wrote out literally 
now my intentions for life. And super powerful. And just to share with you what I meant by setting my intentions, you said you hit with that intent. So my intention was, you know, the night before I'd come home and my son, you know, was 10 months old. He took four steps. I walked in the house and he saw it was me and he smiled and took four steps to walk to me. And at that time, he only taken two and a half steps. Mm. And I'm like, wow, he just set a new record, right? Just set a new record. What is that? I don't want to lose this with your son. You can just pull that off. Just turn it off, yeah. Yeah, we can just keep it off. Yeah, turn it off at the point. So I say, okay, now my son walks to me. Uh, He's excited to see me. I haven't seen him all day. And my phone rings. I pick up the phone. I answer it. And it was so wrong that I picked up that phone call because I hadn't seen my son all day. He's 10 months old. He just set a personal record for steps. Mm-hmm. And I was disconnected. Mm-hmm. I was partially disconnected from him because of the outside world, the external world in my hand. And I'm like, he doesn't deserve that. I go, I never want him to have an ounce of doubt of how he comes first. So by me setting my intention that when I walk through those doors, my phone's on silence, on do not disturb. And as soon as I walk in the house, he gets my intention, whether it's, an hour, two hours, 10 minutes, whatever it is, I'm going to give him my undivided attention because he deserves that. He doesn't know any better. And if I show him it's okay to be disconnected, he's going to be disconnected. And it was powerful, super powerful. Isn't that you're showing your child respect? Yep, at 10 months old. A song, you really listen to what he was saying and you let it affect you. And instead of yep. just reading the book, yep. you applied the action to your son. Had to. And now your son, because you don't ever want your son to doubt ever that you loved him. Or something's more important than him. And didn't I tell you that my grandmother's, their one intention in life yep. was to make sure that their grandson knew that he was loved. Now, I did also, so I have a, a very, my best friend's a financial advisor, Goldman Sachs, Jason, who we've met a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, we were talking about family, friends, and he said that uh, there's something in Goldman Sachs, and I'm sure other people have it as well. It's like a generational skip trust or something along those lines, right? Where let's say your grandparent doesn't want their kid, who's your parents, to get any money from them when they die. Mm-hmm. They basically say, hey, kids, screw you. We're giving this to the grandkids, or I'm leaving it to the grandkids. You hear that all the time. And it's a real thing. It's a pass down, right? Mm-hmm. Do you believe at some point it's like, okay, parents were told not to respect their kids, give their kids tough love, really like 100%. kick their ass, but, 100%. Then, but then treat their grandkids like they could do no wrong? Because I'm experiencing that now. And it's like, what? I don't, I'm like, I don't understand that. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, wouldn't you want to support your kids even fuller to show your kids how to be supportive to their kids? Listen, you don't, of course, you don't think that's what's. I'm funny as I'm doing this. I'm trying to get us back on the air because I think this is such, I think get us back in there because I think this is such an important portion of the podcast. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think, I think that people, thank you. This is so important. This podcast, what's happening because we don't, we don't have a list of topics. Jeff and I are not walking, working off a script, but notice how we went from some sexual jokes some ethnic jokes. We got here one way, right? And look how we <laughs> got here because, here because you never told me to stop. Yep. You never made me doubt myself. Oh, that's and we just And we just trusted that we would get here. And I alluded to how my grandparents, the yep. one thing they wanted, and then you said about your son, yep. you never want him to doubt that you loved him. 
And then how does this skip a generation? Why did my parents withhold love? Is that what we're withhold, talking about? Yeah, held back. Well, my grandparents compensated with love. And why are there parents that believe that, oh, Nothing's you, ever good you're enough. Make you're them soft. No, yeah. you're going to make them yeah. soft yeah. if yeah. you yeah. tell them I love them yeah. too much. You're going to make yeah. them soft. But they're doing that to the grandkids. Yeah, but then they do <laughs> the grand. Well, I always have this theory that I always have this very theory that the grandmothers always spoil the grandchildren as a way of getting back at the at parents, daughter. Right? They're like, now I'm going to create a monster out of your kid, and now <laughs> you'll see what yeah. I went Here's through. Extra with ice cream. Right? Right? You can have anything you want. But I, I think. I think this comes back to maybe help me with this, that people have incorrect theories on life. At one time, they believe that, that, or some unconscious, they pass down, spare the rod, spoil the child. Now, you think people consciously make those decisions? Yes. I think they, they really believe things that aren't true. Or now, they're not aware. That I was things. not, I was really not beaten as a child yeah. although my mother sometimes would hit me in the, my mother was like a boxer she would work the body <laughs> yeah, and then when my hands came yeah, down she yeah. would work hit the face yeah. i used to say i used to say my mother hit me so much i didn't have a pediatrician i had a cut man <laughs> but in truth she would slap me a little bit but i really didn't get beatings with a belt or something like that so i was never taught full disclosure do i don't i don't condone beating to any capacity but i do believe in discipline Yes. And I do believe in if someone's disrespectful, right, they're going to get beat one way or another, right? Mentally, physically, emotionally. It's the parent's job to not push limits or go above and beyond and not take something else out on their children. So, you know, punish your children, but don't overpunish your children. Don't smack over- your kid in the ass. Don't punch him in the face unless he's 18 and deserves it. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I think that we're, I think just like the same in sports that there were things that were done 50 years ago that right. no, like when I played football in high school, we didn't drink water. Right. You were like a pussy if right. you drank water. You no didn't water, drink water. No, water, no, no water. water, no water, no water, no water. Now they're hydrating every five yeah, some, seconds. Someone dies. Now all of a sudden there's massive lawsuits involved. So, and now you have to yeah, overdo it. You know, you don't have to agree with me. I, I always talk like, I know people are listening to us, you know, and I'm not a parent, so you can't go by me, but, but I just don't believe in violence or hitting children. Right. I believe in speaking to them, explaining to them why what they're doing is incorrect, yeah. the, explaining to them the effect of it. But what I really believe in more than anything is what you did with your son, Love. which is letting him know, because I firmly believe today we have, and I've been talking about this, my whole show is about hate versus violence. Yep. And I've seen in the last 10 years, there is more hate than ever before. I think children that love themselves and children that are proud of who they are, and the reason I like these ethnic jokes is, if you're Jewish, be proud you're Jewish. If you're Italian, be proud you're Italian. If you're black, be proud. If the children were taught, because you go to Italy and all of a sudden, oh, Italy, they yeah, they yeah. eat this yeah. type of food. Yep. Then if I said Italians are like this in America, you're a racist. Yeah. But when they go to Ita- <laughs> when they go to Italy, Italians are like this. Right. Italians like that. If you if the children love themselves, I don't think they would go outside of themselves to hate someone else. I think Completely. we see these disenfranchised children joining hate groups. Yep. And we know the names of these hate groups. And they feel a part of something, though. Because then they feel a part of something. It's like joining a gang. And then they feel accepted. But if the parent would treat the child with respect, if the parent would say, we accept you in our family, I didn't feel accepted. My mother got remarried. And when my mother remarried, we went from being a Jewish household to a more white Anglo-Saxon Protestant household. And it was like, I wanted to play street basketball, and I was getting golf clubs. (laughs) 
for Christmas presents. And meanwhile, we're supposed to be getting Hanukkah presents, but I would take the Christmas right. presents and be Jewish and turn them in for cash. But, uh, That's the hustle. Well, the hustle. Yeah. But the thing is, there was no respect for my culture. At all. I don't, I, I had no problem with, if you, if he's a wasp, Perfect. you want to, yeah. you want to drink wine, you want to use mayonnaise, Please you want to play so. golf, right. you want to say the word wear super for every, wear khakis, <laughs> you want to wear uh, uh, loafers with no socks, yep. you want to say the word super, that's all they do is say the word super, the white angle side, everything they hit that's a shot, super, super, <laughs> super, that's not an emotion, after they make love, how was it? Super, super, and that's fine because that's your hey, culture. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. My little phone also just clicked off. Yeah, we got to get back on the air because we don't want to lose it. We don't want to lose it. So I think, I think there's a, we have to treat children with respect and love and show them that there's nothing wrong with who they are. And I, this may be an exaggeration, but I think it's an exaggeration in the right direction. You know, we, I heard that there are people in Korea now that some Korean children or, or, or teenagers, they want to get surgery to make their eyes look less serious. Korean. Serious. Yes, I'm serious because they, that's a, even like with Kung Fu. I can't tell you how many Chinese masters I've had. And when I meet the children, do right. you do, I don't, I don't want to do it. Because they, they, think, they think doing Kung Fu is like a stereotype right. of being Chinese. Yeah. You know what I mean? So- isn't it kind of like a, a girl getting her boobs done or a guy getting his nose done or whatever? You know, it's kind of like... I would never... Listen, I am so proud of my Jewish nose. I always tell audiences, <laughs> I'm so proud of being Jewish. Next week, I'm thinking of going to a plastic surgeon and getting a bigger nose. Because there's nothing... Yeah, whatever. It, it is what it is. It doesn't yeah. say in the Bible, thou shall not have a big nose. It's just the way... Maybe yours be. is normal. Everyone else is fucked up. Exactly. You know? Because Your nose exactly. is too small. No, nobody's is fucked up. But that's the point. Nobody, it's all a marketing technique yep. to get Money. you to buy... Bill Hicks Be said insecure. it. Remember Bill Hicks, the great comedian, once turned to the audience out of nowhere and just went, those of you, if there's anyone here tonight in marketing, go kill yourself. I think that's what he said, or I'm paraphrasing. But there's nothing wrong with having a big nose. Yep, yep. There's nothing wrong with being, being black. Wrong, being there's imperfect. nothing wrong with being Catholic. There's nothing wrong with being Muslim. What are we doing? Making stamps. <laughs> collecting stamps <laughs> you're laughing but i am telling you i am really good at oral sex i am not kidding i and i was going to tell you that before i knew we'd come back to it so i was a shitty athlete initially nobody showed me how to throw a ball i was not doing well in school i was very socially inept so i didn't get laid till i was 20 and the first time you didn't I, get laid till you were 20 yeah jesus yeah i'm telling you this is a true this is true yeah. so so that's why so you're looking up to people that were like definitely not no as good so looking. the first time i so the first time i was having oral sex i was so nervous because i was like I'm oh 20. i never did this and i'm jewish i basically learned everything by reading a book you know because my parents never taught Backwards, me anything right? so like i even learned to throw a baseball because in third grade at the book fair i bought a book on baseball and learned how to i didn't know you you put the two fingers like this. You could throw a fastball. Is that how you like learned the oral sex with your two fingers? Like that? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's fingering. I'm not a big champion of the fingering, by the way. I've never been good at it. I'm kind of a lazy fingerer. I'm kind of like, you know, I don't really get into it. But like when I was an elevator, uh, <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> You know, it is like that. You know what? You know, that's like being at an orgy after somebody's fingered a girl. It's, it is like you still press the elevator again. Even though you know hurry eight up, other people up. press the elevator, you want to make sure it got pressed. What an analogy. But uh, so the first time I was eating pussy, I was so nervous. 
And she was moaning and she was enjoying it. All I kept thinking in my head is, thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God. I'm finally a natural at something. (laughs) Finally, something came naturally to me. And I think the reason it came naturally to me is because nobody ever told me how to do it. Nobody ever brainwashed me. Nobody said, you do it hard or you do it soft. You're doing it wrong. Right. I never read a book about it. So for the first time in my life, I was doing something naturally without a book or somebody else's voice in my head telling me whether it was right or wrong. I just did what came naturally. You know, so it's funny, sex and, sex and money, I feel like, are two topics that, at least when I was growing up, like you didn't talk about them. No. Like, you know, it wasn't like, hey, you know, no. Late, no. But it was really. Now they uh, all talk about money. No, it was considered it's, rude. It's still, yeah, correct. It was rude. And even today, you know, it's like sex and money are still two topics that certain people like you bring it up and that you could you could see them tense up or get yes. really uncomfortable why is that is it insecure it's got to be insecurity no well yeah, I, I'm not I, big enough it could be insecure well it, yes people could be yeah. insecure but how about this or also? I don't have enough money it comes back it comes back to to the uh, uh, the way society presents itself. If you're raised being taught, we don't talk about sex. It's rude to talk about sex. It's rude to talk about sex. Don't talk about sex. It's dirty. It's dirty. It's vulgar. It's dirty. Then Lenny Bruce comes around and he talks about sex and people start going, it's funny. I don't care what people, it's funny. It's funny. It's and, true. It, and it's truthful. You know, Lenny Bruce would say, ladies, don't be mad at a guy yeah. if he wants to cheat or fuck other women. Cause a guy will fuck anything. A guy will stick his dick in mud. A guy will fuck a chicken. If he could, a right. guy will come home Completely. after fucking a chicken, his wife, and he'll go to his wife, make me dinner. And the wife will go, ask your chicken to cook <laughs> your dinner. That it's was true. a Lenny Bruce yeah. joke. So Lenny Bruce was the first person who didn't behave and was himself and said, because Lenny had worked in strip clubs. Lenny was originally started out doing impressions, but eventually because he met Honey Bruce, who was a stripper, a bisexual, maybe a drug user, maybe a hooker, maybe a deviant that she opened his eyes to another world. And that's what happened to me. I was a vanilla sex guy, missionary position guy, very rarely eating pussy, got divorced, met a very young girl. All of a a sudden, she was like handcuffs, oil on my balls and anal beads. The the anal beads is the absolute, and I don't care. There was not a comedian in America talking about anal beads till I brought it up in 1996. And you can look it up. Because it was a true story because I went to college with a guy in the Navy and he would, these hookers would pull beads out of their ass. I'm just telling you the truth because it stimulates the uh, prostate. So my whole life I was like, I want to have beads out of my ass. I want to have beads out of my ass. My friend Dave said that it feels great. This girl put five beads out of my ass. I'm a clamper. They wouldn't come out. I'm a clamper. They wouldn't come out. That's the God's honor. That's, that's a true story. And I told that story when I first got divorced. Broke the ice. It broke. I love you so much, Jeff Endo. They call me the icebreaker. I love you, Jeff, because you really get me. You listen. Yeah, listen. No, but your heart listens. You're going to be the greatest fucking dad ever because you fucking listen with your heart. Yes, I'm an icebreaker. I just want to be loved. And I was just telling the truth about the anal beads. So at first there were people, he's vulgar, he's vulgar. He's talking about anal beads. Right, yeah. But then other people would go, yeah, but he's funny and he's the victim. Where do I get him? He's the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what thinking. Well, this is the worst. Well, in 96, there was no like website domain to buy them, right? No Amazon? You would go to, no, you would go to sex stores and you could find them. And this is before, like in the 90s, you had to go to like Show World yeah. or 42nd Street when it was, if you watched the TV show, The Deuce. You know what I mean? They would have these little sex stores, these little porno stores, sure. they were called. Sure. Now, all of a sudden, because of sex in the city, 
Now you can buy a vibrator and on every okay, corner. Now it's okay to talk Now it's about okay it. to yeah. have a vibrator yeah. because it's called a rabbit. Yep. yep. You know I'm what with I mean? you. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I tell Someone people, save cool. your money and just get a vibrating egg. <laughs> this vibrating egg, you can get them on a cord. They also have vi- wireless. <laughs> the vibrating egg is about 20 bucks. Is it like this size? It looks exactly like that. Those of you that are watching, it's a little smaller than this. You can use it. This is not a you vibrating can use it, egg. Though. You can <laughs> use it externally. You can use it internally. And if you're not black, you can probably also get your penis in with it. <laughs> are you endorsed? I'm endorsing the egg. You know what I'm endorsing? I'm endorsing consensual sex. Yep. Where both of you are on the same page. And if she's not into it, then don't, don't do, do it. it. Yep. Or if I'm that's not it. into it, then don't do it. Respectfully I'm, say it's it. Yeah, but but if the two of you are into it, and if it's if it's helping you be close to one another, and you're enjoying, and you're laughing, things. and yeah. you're you're having a trial two, and error. See, <laughs> like there were there were five beads that were all errors. <laughs> they were all errors. But you know, it did bring us closer together because sure. afterwards it's we laughed. We laughed so hard about how horrible the experience was. They just wouldn't come out. They're supposed to come out <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. They came out like one, <laughs> two. It was just it was unbearable. But later on, we laughed at it because... that's all it's about. It's about creating an experience. And if you come see my show, I swear to you, you're going to see an experience. You're going to see an event. You're going to see a happening. You're not going to see a guy doing a telemarketing script. You're going to leave really... You're going to really feel like we were all there together. It's so spontaneous and so now. Like, we didn't write these... Even... We're not talking practically about anything that we talked about. Nothing. But it all comes out of, I want... Every joke I'm telling is just because that's the only way I was able to find love. Maybe some kids find it I by be, hitting I a baseball. I think it's important to say you found love, though, by being you. Yes. When you weren't you, you weren't liked and loved. But when you became you, genuinely authentic you, everyone started to like it. Most well, people started I, to like I and love you. I think another thing, I took it even further. Even in accounting class, I was funny. So I used Jewish to- accountant? Yeah, you don't hear much of that. <laughs> it's kind of like, we got to get some Christian rabbis. We got to open that up. We need some affirmative action. A Christian rabbi would Talk be about some, inequality, right? I mean, think about it. We need a Christian rabbi. A Christian rabbi, so a Jewish rabbi, is, it would be like this. Listen, raining, maybe you need an umbrella. A Christian mm-hmm. rabbi would be, who cares? You get wet, go out there. So uh, the thing is, I thought when I left accounting that becoming a comedian oh, this is going to be the greatest thing in the world because it's comedy, it's fun. We'll just be giving each other hot foots and, and shaking hands with buzzers and squirting flowers. The comedy business is just as conservative and horrible as any other business. You said earlier it's an ugly business. Ugly. Cutthroat, legs ugly. Cut out, everything, right? Lacks integrity. Serious. And I played street ball. I know I, I hang with guys in the street who've done prison time. I get more respect and more integrity from. Is that because... There are repercussions on the street, and there's no repercussions really in corporate society today. Well, we're comparing comedy to corporate society. It goes hand in hand, though. It's still entrepreneurship. I business. think comedy has gotten more more corporate. You're correct it has, because yeah. because remember, the white people to, white people are watching and paying. You might be right. Look, we started out with little clubs like yep. mom and pop Italian restaurants Dive in New bar. York City. Yeah. And now we have corporate yep. franchise yep. Italian restaurants. You don't want to offend anybody or give the wrong presence and setting. And that brings me to, I can't be Lenny Bruce or George Carlin, but the more people are offended, the more I will always have a career. Because my whole show, and I always tell people at the beginning of the show, if you're easily offended, Leave. please stay. Oh, please stay. Please stay. <laughs> because you know what? Because nobody ever asks me what offends me. That's true. Nobody ever asks. I'll tell you what offends me. What offends me is separating children from their mothers. Yep. That's what offends me. Yep. 
What offends me is, is talking on your phone instead of hugging and talking to your kid. What offends me Prejudice. is when people talk about public displays of affection. You ever see people go, they see people hugging in the street. Ooh, yeah. PDA. Yeah, ooh, yeah, it's yeah. I'd rather see people hugging on They're the street than people killing on the street. Nobody, there's so many people today that get joy out of telling you what offend, how you're offending them, but they never ask you how they're, you know what offends me? You criticizing me, motherfucker. Right, right, right. This Yelp thing is the worst oh, the thing worst we ever thing came ever. up with in we'll society. We'll give all people that have no voice a voice. All these people are cowards yeah. on, on the internet. The food took comments. seven minutes to come out. Okay. You know, maybe they're yeah, busy. How, yeah, yeah Jeff, whatever. How bad, Coil is listening, Coil, how bad has the food and service got to be that you got to write a Yelp. Serious. And they're not writing a Yelp. They're not writing a criticism. Nope. They are trying to get the person to lose their job. Completely. Now, I, they want to hurt them. They want to sabotage them. I've had people in comedy audiences go to the club owner yep. and say things about me. If you don't like the joke or you don't think I'm funny, fine. All right. You go to put a your movie, headphones on. you don't yeah, like it. Your, yeah, right. But they go out of their way to tell the club owner, get rid of yeah, this they guy. They try and hurt somebody. Get, they want to hurt my living. It's a funny story. So this is, this is actually, I tell you, Funny, this is fucking really funny actually. So, it's actually, it's when I say things are funny, they're really not funny. Yeah, yeah, you know, like whatever. So, I'm sitting in my office, it's like uh, September 2017. I'll set the preference. So, this guy was a real estate professional, he was given that title professional, he really wasn't a professional, was a part of uh, a board that had gotten me to sponsor an event for them prior in 2014. Okay. Now, this is 2017, but this happened in 2014. Long story short, I wound up having to put over $40,000 my, of my own money to sponsor an event. I was told I was an exclusive sponsor for the mortgage business, and then it turned out that this person brought two other mortgage people on to co-sponsor the event with me once I cut my check. So I'm like, well, I already cut a check for 10000 I tell everyone I'm the exclusive sponsor. It doesn't look good if I have two other banks here because now I look like I, I, I lied to you. you know, I'm a 27-year-old kid. Kids still at 27. I'm a 27 year old young professional, still trying to make a name for myself in Manhattan. If I don't put up the extra 30,000, I look like I lied. Hey, I'm an exclusive sponsor, whatever. Didn't talk to the guy for three years. And then one day I had posted something on Facebook like, hey, off market development site in Hoboken, New Jersey, former Sinatra property, Frank Sinatra from Hoboken. So I get this message, you know, through Messenger on Facebook. And I get a ton of them. And I reply to very few because usually they're people just like, you know, Asking for an arm and a leg. I'm like, I haven't talked to you in seven years. I like to keep it that way. <laughs> you know, unless you're asking me help, different story, right? <laughs> you know? So he's like, oh, I'm really, I really have a client that's interested in that property. Please send me the information. And I very respectfully said, hey, such and such, nice to hear from you. Um, you know, I'm going to send my clients this off-market property first. I go, and I'm looking to get the commercial financing out of it. I'm not looking to collect a referral fee, which is illegal. I'm not looking to collect a real estate fee because I'm not the realtor. It's an off-market property that a friend of mine has that asked me to help them market it because of my network. At the time, we were trying to attract New York City and Brooklyn developers into Jersey because Hoboken's really the other side of the river, right? So he goes, okay, that's fine, whatever, whatever, whatever. So two weeks goes by. I don't hear from the guy, right? I get a text message. Hey, just following up on that deal. Can you send me the information? And I'm like, hey, that deal is no longer available. Somebody, it's been two weeks now. You, you, tell, you tell someone you could buy such property. Everyone wants to come just from the cloud and buy the property. I go, this isn't available, but here are two other sites that are available. They're in Jersey City Heights where I live. He goes, wow, how dare you bait and switch me? You never really had access to that property. Da, 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 this and that, whatever, right? So I'm like, 
now I remember why three years ago I stopped talking to you. Oh, yeah. And now the 40000 that I spent, now it's things even more. Because I remember how like, I forgot about it. Right. Put it in the compartment. Now you just resurfaced it. Now I really don't like you. So whatever. Another week and a half goes by. I get a letter scanned to me from our in-house attorney. This guy went and filed a complaint in the banking department in New Jersey saying that I need to have a muzzle. This is an actual banking. You can go Google this. A banking department complaint that I have. I need to have a muzzle put on me because I think I'm the mouthpiece for real estate and I'm illegally marketing real estate for sale. And if I want to do that, I need to hold a real estate license. I, I saw a letter. Clearly now, I'm, again, you know me. You've seen me in mostly com, all comm settings. Yeah, you know, it's cool. I'm very cool, calm, and collective until you try and purposely hurt me or my means to making a living when you're wrong. I read the letter. I printed the letter out. I read it on the computer first. Printed the letter out, ripped it up, went to the gym. At the time, I only had benched like 225, like four times, four times in a row. I went to the gym that day and did 225 on the bench press eight times. Four times more than I'd ever done in recent history. And that strictly came because this person tried taking a shot at me and my career because this pussy didn't get his way. He fucked up. He waited two weeks for my initial post. He waited two weeks to reply. He didn't get me the right information. I was trying to genuinely help him say, hey, this is not available anymore. Here are two other opportunities like this. And he didn't like that. Oh, bait and switch. Bait and switch. Buddy, I don't even care whether your client buys it or not. You know what I mean? But that's how people are. Like, it's always someone else's fault. It's always, but oh. Why, why did he go, like, in the yelping, and this is a... To try and... To, to, why did he... To like, show his cloud, to show his power. But now, even further, didn't he try and hurt your business? Completely. So, uh, God's not, not many people know this. Because I became very dominant or active on social media, and I knew I had a lot of sideline haters and watchers that could never accomplish what I accomplished by 25 years old, let alone 28, 29, 30, and and forget about what we're about to see. I'm like, I need to relinquish all my licenses because once you have a license, you're held at a higher standard as far as the black and white books go, right? So somebody who has no merit or justice can file a complaint, and in today's world, you're not innocent until you're proven guilty. You're guilty until right. you prove yourself right. innocent. Right. And I said, you know what? I'm surrendering all my licenses. From here on out, I'm the mortgage quarterback. I'm an entrepreneur. I will never answer to another authority in banking, real estate, or insurance ever again. Because, again, you have people that sit behind a desk that receive these complaints. And then they're like, hey, you're guilty. Prove you're not. I'm like, that's not how it works in this world, or at least the world I was raised in. And isn't that sort of the climate right now? Completely. I don't want to be too political. Um, but isn't that the climate right now where we see somebody just name call or, or label other politicians? Automatically. On and both then, sides. And then, on, on both, both sides. sides. On I both want sides. to say that. Yep. And, and then that label just, nobody even questions the label. Like, why is it, why is it that we have this mob? Like, in our, so this guy went out of his way instead of just saying, Completely. hey, listen, Jeff, let me just tell you something right now. This is off the record, but go fuck yourself. Yeah. I will never do a deal with you again. Yep. But he didn't do that. Nothing. He probably told his friends and he said, Everyone. I'm going to ruin this guy. And the best part is he was in California. He was so not successful in New York that he had picked up him and his family and moved to California to make a new real estate career for himself. But what drives a person insecurity to want to hurt? Because now I'm seeing no in power, America No too, power. Power struggle. I believe it's power struggle. Oh, then related to this, I see like sometimes at these political rallies- mm-hmm. 
like a mob mentality. And mob mentality, I am using that as a pejorative word. It's a negative tone. Correct. Where you almost see people like, kill, 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 kill. Why are these people, and we talked about disenfranchised children who didn't feel loved. Why, can you connect for me, Jeff, this gentleman stepping out of the box to try and go beyond just criticizing Mm -hmm. you, to punish you, Mm -hmm. and why do this mob mentality we now see in America at rallies they look like they want to punish certain people. Yeah, I feel like what what's the punish? Where does that come from? I, so clearly, they weren't raised right, or they didn't listen to the people that were raising them. It's one or the other, you know. Because I know me personally, I was always told like you never intentionally hurt anybody, ever. Like if you hurt someone, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Be overly apologetic, right? Now in this particular case, um, I feel like people just need to prove that they're right, or like they feel. For example, I'll give you an example. You walk up to an at-bat and you crush a home run, right? Yeah, I hit a home run. This guy never hit a home run in his life. Mm -hmm. So for him, he got up to the plate. Someone threw him a pitch. He hit a home run and now he needed to show how great it was trod around the base. Like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I just hit a home run. Meanwhile, I'm like, you're a piece of shit. You're passive aggressive. Like, come see me in person and we're going to have a different story. And one of us probably isn't going to walk out of here. And that's not me being a tough guy. That's not me having an ego. That's not me being... Anything. That's me being me. Because again, I'll give you the show off my back. I will do anything for anybody. Truthfully, anybody. And it's funny, not to get off track, but someone asked me the other day, you know, what's what's your, what do you feel, something like, what do you feel bad for, for your past? Or what do you, who do you feel sorry for? And uh, obviously, you think about that, you're not really asked that question daily, you know? And I said, I feel bad for the people that took advantage of me prior why because yeah i may have had more money than them i may have been more successful than them i may have been on a better path than them but if you burnt me prior to this current stage in life you don't even know the means that i'm gonna have in the future you don't even know where this podcast where my career where i'm gonna go in the future when i really have the means and resources i'm not gonna hurt you but you don't have access to that more importantly you don't have access to me so when you came to me and borrowed $15,000, and I gave it to you, I didn't have you sign a document because I knew you for years. I trusted you. Mm-hmm. I respected you. You've been in my house. And I never hear from you again? And you dodge my text messages? Well, you know what? One day you're probably going to need $150,000. And I'm going to have that times 100 plus. You ain't getting a penny from me. You know? And I feel like just people just are so short-sighted and they're so, they're so transactional I, I, and they I, don't have that integrity word that we spoke about. I think somebody once told me one of the club owners I'm friendly with, a comedy club, said to me, don't go for the short money, go for the long money. But I think that does come back to integrity. Just It's like we're playing ball today, right? Don't treat me like we're just playing ball today. Treat me like I'm a guy that's going to see you tomorrow and yep. the rest of your life. And yep. this is one of a thousand games we're going to play. Yep. Together. So somebody really took that much money from you and then... That, that's not, that's, I, I gave you a small example on a lower scale. That was the last time I lent somebody money. That was the last time. Um, we could dive into this. I think people want to hear the raw, real version. So um, Because, you know, like getting... This is real. Access, this is real. This is because real. in order to grow a business, yep. I realized... Because my whole life I always got like... 
people go, you're so funny and why aren't you more well-known or why aren't you famous? And, you know, then, then as soon as you, and then, and then the other half is like, but you're so successful. Yeah. yeah. yeah but I, but I yeah. want to be a household name. Yeah. But I, I always realized that I was so broke most of my comedy career. I didn't have the money to invest in myself, to send out videotapes, to get better headshots, whatever. Sure. So getting capital is so important in life, getting cash, favors, liquidity, but even cash, cash. And here, when I was broke, I borrowed $300. My, my parents gave me $750. That was it. And a guy gave me $300. All right. That's the only money I was able to borrow. And I was broke for like 10 years. Sure. And here you are giving somebody $15,000. Yeah. And it sounds like you gave people even more than that. Multiples of that. So, but let me also put that in perspective for you. So, you know, when you're making $30,000, dollars $50,000 per month, and remember, I busted my ass to do that, mm-hmm. you know. I didn't say I didn't appreciate or value it because I did. My mentality was skewed to where I thought, hey, I want this guy to like me. I want this guy to love me. He, along with other people, he's, oh, in quotes, always been there for me, even though I never really asked anything, you know. Um, and if I was in his position, I would hope somebody would give me $15,000 that I was right. close to, you know. Um, what you come to realize, or what I came to realize at an early age, God bless, you know, this opportunity, it's a blessing in disguise, before 30, um, people are around you for a reason. And a lot of people are around you, myself, and everyone else for all the wrong reasons, right? You know, you have cronies, you have groupies, you have people that want to be around you because you're successful and they know they're not successful. So you're lifting them up. Um, now, in their eyes, you're inspiring them. What we fail to realize once we hit a certain level of success or accomplishment is a lot of these people are really anchors holding us back. You know, I'm just giving an example. We started business today. We're great. We're on the you know, same level. Everything's great. And then you hit it big. You become the number one comedian in the country, right? But I'm still the guy that you met day one here today. You're elevating yourself. I'm staying stagnant. You know, if I'm not growing individually, personally, professionally, I eventually hold you back because I'm still the same person telling the same stories. And there's a lot of people out there that want to mooch on you and pretend like they're there for you. And then when you need them, they're really not. I'm sure you've experienced that yourself in life. Yeah. I'm trying to see like, what's the one thing used and abused, used and abused. Like, like how do you tell? Because again, you don't want to tell your children to be paranoid and don't trust anyone. And, everybody's out to get you. I mean, sure. these are all platitudes we've all heard. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. but because you do want, we're telling you to respect people and develop trust and to develop bonds. Yep. But at the same time, how do you look at people for the first time in my life? I've had to look at people and realize I don't hate them. I don't dislike them, but I have to realize that I have to be very careful about listening to them. Completely. If you listen, they give you their secrets. And I, and because I was so busy doing other things, again, at the time, giving somebody whatever, whatever amount of money. Sometimes they don't was. give you the secret. Sometimes they direct you down the wrong they, path. They hide, <laughs> they hide them. But again, I think that that develops a skill inside of somebody like myself, right? Because I'm just I saying I've never right. had to be so selective in Completely. my life we before because I just wanted to. It's a recipe for disaster, but I've always, because as a child, look, you can go back. They asked Rodney, like people go, when do you get over this childhood thing, Steve? When are you going to get over it? When do you get over it? They asked Rodney Dangerfield many years later. Rodney had a very bad childhood. His father was on the road. He didn't even get a birthday cake. You know, he didn't celebrate his birthday. He just didn't have a very happy childhood. And they asked him many years later, 
uh, do you ever get over it? And Rodney, who had this big booming voice, hey, you know, I no respect. Hey, uh, all of a sudden, his voice got very low. He says, Rodney, do you ever get over it? He goes, nah, man, you never get over never. it. Never. It's like Citizen Kane. You go back to that movie, Rosebud, The Sled. That kid really, he, he became so famous. It was based on like William sure, Randolph Hearst. Sure, and he sure. had this big home and he had all these antiques from around the world and he had giraffes and he had, but all he really wanted was Rosebud, that sled. And I think the thing that me that keeps me level is that oh, I know all I really wanted was my mother and father's love, my grandmother's love, my grandfather's love, my sister's love and health, health. And I still realize now that that's all I want. And I love playing street basketball. I've never been paid a dollar for it and I'll do it the rest of my life. And I wish I never had to be paid a dollar to perform because yep. I love doing it. I'll do it for no money, but I need to pay my rent. Yep. And I basically know I don't like lobster. I like chow mein. <laughs> and uh, no, but I really like that. Yep. And, and I'm very, very simple guy because I really know what I like. Do you think, that's interesting you bring that up. So do you, do you believe that it's more important in life to find out what you do want or what you don't want? I think I'm going to give you a very zen-like answer. Maybe it's important not to want. Or need. Maybe it's important to just be like I think about a cat. A cat doesn't behave anything. A cat just is a cat. A frog, a frog doesn't say, I'm not going to leap today. I'm going, to, I'm going to skip. I think the thing is maybe not to need and just be yourself. And that's a lot of what I got out of Tai Chi, which is when you stop trying, when you let go, you have an intent, but it's not a hard intent. But maybe doing less, I don't know how to explain this, but try and find your natural state of being. I, I'm, I'm on this journey now learning about that. I know you're meditating, so I don't really have the answer for that right now. But I know like when I spar, I use a lot of Tai Chi now and I don't contract my muscles. I don't lift weights. I just stay very relaxed loose. and very loose and sort of move and just stay in the moment and try not to uh, try not to work to a conclusion. The same in my show. I don't go up and say I'm going to kill. Oh, it's baseball. If you want to hit the ball further, you mm -hmm. don't hit it harder. Right. Am I right, right. Jeff? You don't yeah. hit it harder. It's coordination hips. and it's balance yeah. and it's hips. Yep. Energy so, rotation. Relax. You don't hit a golf ball harder right. by muscling it. That's what, I'm, golf ball that's what I'm trying to say. Be less external. Stop muscling your life so said, and be more internal. So I say people, uh, you know, in order to break up millennials, everyone likes to bash millennials. So I call people who call millennials millennials. Like, oh, you're a millennial. I'm like, well, you're a dinosaur. And I do that purposely <laughs> right. just to grow awareness. Right. Now, listen, you could be a, like this. You could be a dinosaur age-wise, but still be a kid mentality, right? So- because most people who are over the age of 55, let's say, look down, frown, shit on millennials, in order to combat them, I'm like, well, you're a dinosaur. Age, but it's not age. It's really just personality and mentality, right? And I posted, dinosaurs use force, millennials use finesse. That's the message of the show. I always look for a theme. That's the message of today's show. Use finesse, not force. Correct. You get more. Use internal. Use your, like we talked about, it doesn't have to be women, men too. Use your brain and your heart, yep. not your muscle. Yep. Use less muscle and find that, what's, that heart. Remember, we always talk about football players. Sure. We always look for that football player with heart. Yep. Got to have heart. Yeah, I think that's great what you just said. Yeah, less 
Less sense, muscle, right? more finesse. Yep, because eventually you're going to tire out using all your muscle and force. You know, eventually you're fatigued. I used to do that in the ring. The first round, I'd come out 90 miles an hour. Yep. You go, you can't fight shot. like this. For, yeah, yep. you're, 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 shot your load. Go ahead, run with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, still going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they say, people don't, they say people don't usually change in life until something dramatic or dra- drastic or life-altering happens, a health issue, uh, you know. Something tragic in the world, a bomb goes off, someone passes away. What's your theory on that? Do you think that's true? And what advice do you have for people to change before something makes them change, where they have no other option? Well, I was going to say what I just free associated. The biggest change I made in my life was I just changed back to being my original self. Did you feel free? Yeah, because because it's like a cat has to be a cat. I have to be Steve Marshall. I have to I have to say these. I grew up with my cousin Howard making ethnic jokes and sex jokes. We didn't hurt him. I have to be me. And I, I think, you know, a friend of mine said to me, he believes that people don't change till they're, till they're willing to realize they right. have to change. Yep. But I think what you're talking about is preventative change. Correct. Like before you end up in a disaster. Yep. You know, like I, you know I, you're going down the wrong route. At what point do you change before you're in the hospital bed laid up where you can't? have any other option to change or you can't walk again or you get behind a wheel drunk and drive and kill somebody or you're in jail or whatever the case I may think, be. I think, I think one has to be aware of their actions and one has to be aware that if you drive a car quickly or yeah. fast, yep. you have to understand what the negative to that could Consequences. be. Consequences. Yes. And I think that's where it would be. And you, like, I understand I take accountability and responsibility for my humor. Me too. I know some nights I may Push talk about a topic that offends somebody. I, I, I'm sorry, but if I talk about a certain topic, I didn't know your daughter was deaf. I didn't know right, it's not you were in the Holocaust. Yep, yep, your yep, grandparents yep. were in the Holocaust. Yep. It's never intentional. It's not bad intentional. But I think you have to be aware of the consequences of what you do. But then you go to your heart and you say, but is my intention to hurt people? And it's not. Um, your intention is to help people, make them laugh, I think smile. I'm always changing, but... I feel like I'm always ch- not changing. It's always me, but I'm just evolving into the better and more authentic. I don't see it as change. It's evolution into the more authentic me. Some people say when you, it's like sculpture. It's not adding clay. It's removing clay. I'm trying to remove all the inauthentic, inauthentic. I can't. Inauthenticity. To, yeah. All the inauthenticity yep. about myself and try and get back to that. Steve, that was five confident or six kid. years old. That, confident kid. that kid, that kid before my parents yep. put the self doubt yep. in me, yep. that ran around with so, so much you break joy. Down to the core and foundation. That, you know, I'm trying to get back to being your son, yep. the kid who, when Innocent. daddy puts the key in the door, instead of taking two and a half steps, he takes four steps. Yep. Because you know what? That's the same thing that happened to you with the lifting the weights. Yep. Your son was motivated to take four steps because he needed four steps to get, to, get to, to me. You. When you were in the gym that day, you yep. did 225 yep. 10 times because you were so motivated. Yep, I had a purpose or a reason. Get in touch with your purpose and your reason, which is to be the best you you could be. So if you had to leave people with one thing, so as you know, as we close up the show, there's one thing that our guests are going to leave you with to deposit that into your memory bank. What is your I know number one thing? 100%, 150%. Take a risk to be yourself. It's a risk because when you're yourself, which means dressing the way you want to dress, eating the foods you want to, saying the things you really believe in, you're taking a risk. Remember we talked about what's the consequence because somebody is not going to like it. Take a risk if your heart is in the right place and if you're having integrity to yourself. 
take a risk to not be liked in order to be liked. Down and right. how about this? In order to like yourself, take a risk to be yourself. Don't behave like anybody but yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for watching, viewing, seeing, listening, everything you did today. Sorry for the first uh, pre-pre mishap that we did get the show live. But uh, Steve, thanks so much for coming. You know, again, I consider you somebody that I would go to war with. I definitely respect the hell out of you. And I think uh, more people need to be like you in this world. Tell it how it is. Be raw and really, you know, enjoy giving somebody the shirt off your back and not telling people about and more, it. And more dads have to be like you, Jeff. I appreciate more that. More dads have to be like you who just realize how important it is that their children know they love them. Um, can I say to go my website? Absolutely, Steve, yeah. com. I'm on Instagram at Bcom, don't behave. Nobody, B-E-C-A-L-M, don't behave. Twitter, don't behave. But the reason is if people that listen to the podcast on Facebook, could you write some comments? I mean, try sure. not to be vicious. Don't yelp us. Yeah. But can I would like some feedback. Sure. And if you disagree Tell without us. being mean. Yeah. Because don't attack. I we want, will come find you. Yeah, I just, wanna, I just want to dialogue. Italian uncles. And I just want you to realize that um, we didn't plan any of this today. And yep. I, think, I think we're both two pretty earnest guys who hopefully we entertained you. Absolutely. Oh, that's the other thing. And Custom, you learn something. Custom Auto said to Mike Tyson, when you're in the ring, I want you to win. But people are also coming to be entertained be entertaining Put on the show so i hope we were entertaining Absolutely. also and coil thank you so much for our wonderful sound do you have any upcoming guy. shows in the next yes, month that i'll be at, i'll be at tonight's friday night i'll be at dangerfield yes. on 61st and first tomorrow saturday night i'll be at the broadway comedy club on 53rd street between 8th and 9th avenues uh Next Thursday, I'll be in Boca Raton, Florida at the Boca Black Box. Awesome. Uh, look for me again to be at the Laugh Factory in Reno and Vegas. My schedule's on stevemarshallcomedy.com. And more importantly, because I was a school teacher, if just one person listening to this podcast feels better about themselves and has the courage to Our take a done. risk to be themselves, then we did effing great today. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Steve. And look forward to having you back on as a second guest. <laughs>